Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm great, Dan. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. Doing good. I'm updating my metadata. Metadata. For metadata. For iTunes. It's the data uh, about loving kindness. Oh. That's not funny. That's a, it's a really stupid pun. Metadata. <laughs> Meta? Oh, I mean, it works. It's a good, <laughs> it's a good practice. <laughs> uh, you ever use that? Uh, we must have talked about this. You ever use that application uh, from OS X called Caliber? It's a um, ebook management app. Yes, I think <laughs> I have tried this, but it's I... a hell of a thing. Yeah, yeah. It's it's well, it's it's funny. Um, you know, there's so many. You get so used to like these pretty apps on iOS that like do a thing. It's like you know. Click here to establish that you've opened a door. This will be uploaded to the internet. Beep boop. But Caliber is just such a hilarious, like old school app. I think it's all done in Python. Uh, and the interface is, I don't know if you can see any screenshots on the web, but uh, you should check out the way <laughs> Caliber, it's in C-A-L-I-B-R-E. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's uh, yeah. Click, on the demo, look- click on the demo page. <laughs> doesn't look like the most modern app in the whole Are you world. looking at it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, doesn't that kind of take you back, though, to a time when you would like, I'll oh, just put an icon there. It'll be fine. <laughs> oh, it's got a nice soundtrack here. A brief tour of its major features. Caliber was designed to make managing your ebook collection as easy as possible. It can manage books. It's a nice guy. That's sexy. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible, um, very powerful app for managing your various ebooks. So if you get a bunch of EPUBs that you want to look at on your iPad, you just drag them into here and it pulls down the metadata for you. Um, you can do all kinds of, I think one of the original ways this became useful was when everybody, I guess a lot of people still use Kindles. I use, by will, the way, I, I, that's on my list of things to talk about today. I use my Kindle all the time. Oh, I'd love to talk about that. Um, but you know, they, that's usually what dot Moby M O B I. Yeah, I think it? so. Uh huh. So you know, for a long time, because it didn't matter if you were just reading ebooks on a screen for a long time, you would get it as either like straight images or as a PDF. But more and more, uh, through I guess I have to credit things like Project Gutenberg for going in and digitizing books to actual letters. But it was really cool. So like this app was this Swiss Army knife for uh, it's like a Swiss Army knife with Swiss Army knives. You could throw any kind of format at this thing as long as it had readable letters and you could like reformat it to the way you want it to look if it was like well-formed you know xml-ish data you could like make it look the way you want if you want your headings to look like this that was a little over over my pay grade but you know i used it and continue to use it for you know stuff like getting the author and cover information right uh normalizing all the metadata uh but it is it's a it's a (laughs) it's not much of a looker (laughs) but it's handy I Somebody mean, sent me an e- EPUB, and now I can uh, go look at it on my iPad. EPUB, iPad. And, you know, the video that was playing a minute ago was recorded on Linux. Clearly, that's a Linux Windows manager that was running. So it's a cross-platform app, apparently, also. Right. Like, you know, with it's not Java. It's, it's Python. It's right once confused everywhere. <laughs> that's right. Send to a device. <laughs> so you got it. You got a Kindle. That's cool. We, uh, we I think uh, we have probably have some. Uh, I, I know I have some front matter uh, for today. But we want to continue. I think uh, on a topic that we started last week, which is, I don't know. I, I was calling it updates, but 
but basically just I, I like the idea of this long arc where we come back to a lot of topics that we used to talk about a lot, haven't talked about in a while, and just kind of update the listeners and each other on what we're doing new or differently with those topics. But I'm finding also – I don't you can tell me if this is interesting to you. Uh, I'm also just interested in – Old man, not old man, but changes in the landscape. Yeah. You know, in, in my case, looking at, I, I can't help but selfishly look at this in terms of where I was in 2004, starting um, whatever my site was called, till now, where like in September, that'll be 12 years. And so I'm very interested in what I did differently, what was possible, what was impossible. All those changes that have happened over those years and consequently just the, the technological changes that enable you to do so many things so differently – and I think the interesting part for our conversations, conversely, all the stuff you just kind of don't need to do as much anymore. Right. So uh, I thought uh, we could talk about that more uh, this week if you're into that. I would love that. Um, We're cheating a little bit because we talked a little bit in text about this. I don't think that's cheating. That's yeah. It's to be prep. to be expected. You like the ones you like the ones where I, I do. <laughs> I don't have too many bullets. I got some bullets for this one. Uh, it's a big week. It's been a huge week. Boy, this is this would be a great week to just leave the internet. And just play Pokemon Go all the time? Sure. Yes, that is a thing I don't that I, would do. I don't I mean, I don't want to start off with this, but are you playing that? Is that a thing that you're doing? I would guess no, if I had to guess. That's a really good guess. Yeah, you know? no, I'm not either. I'm not a, I'm but not But people keep it. asking me about it. Like I'm like well, this is the potted fern problem. They're like, checking in with playing me. Pokemon Go. <laughs> Why am I not doing anything? All right. Oh, my Christ. I just, for myself, like, God love you. I'm glad you guys are having fun. It seems like a lot of fun. And a lot of my friends are really enjoying it. But that is almost precisely the last thing I need in my life right now. It's something that requires me to go places to play a video game. <laughs> wow. I already don't play that many video games. But if I did, I kind of thrive on the convenience of being where I am. Mm-hmm. The idea of having to go somewhere to train a make-believe cartoon drink makes me sad inside. But God bless you. I'm glad you're, <laughs> glad you're enjoying it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, it's, it's interesting. And it's, and, and honestly, I, this is just my personal preference to put on my prognosticator hat, which is a very unattractive hat. It's, uh, it's certainly super interesting in terms of what this stuff will become. I mean, this is how stuff becomes stuff. Everything starts as porn and games. So this may be the first AR experience, uh, that a lot of people have, and they're really, really immersed in it. I think I, did I tell you last week, I might have told you in the after dark, but yeah, I told you this, how weird it was a couple days before this was hot and before I knew what it was, it was just like roaming like zombie Chinese teenagers walking around photographing the sidewalk. And I said to my, I was said to my wife, I was like, what is happening? Why are there so many people walking around slowly photographing the sidewalk? And it turns out it's a game. Yeah. It turns out it's called photograph the sidewalk. Yeah. I was, uh, I was at an appointment today with my doctor and she said, are you playing this this thing, this Pokemon Go thing? And I said, no. And she said, oh, good. I didn't want to, you know, I was worried I could say something bad about it. And I said, no, say anything bad about it that you want. No, and I mean, honestly, I don't have a dog in the fight. It's, uh, I, I'm not even against video games. I'm certainly not against fun. It's just absolutely not uh, for me. There's, there's other, I mean, I love wasting my time. I just have very bespoke ways to waste my time. I have a real good idea of how I want to waste my time, and it, I apportion it in ways that are very uh, rational. To mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm. Beep boop. Yeah, I don't. You know, I'm at the I'm at the point where I'm, and I was thinking about this this morning. I'm okay to miss out on 
certain things now. Like there was a period of time where I felt like if I wasn't not in the know per se, but just involved in the, the cool thing that was going on in the current wave of, of awesomeness, whatever that was. Yeah. Especially in the kind of geek space. Like I was always, I I totally know what you you mean. I don't think you need to No, I think that is absolutely true. And now I feel like I can take a step away from it and it's okay if the wave moves through and passes by and I, I never caught the wave. Yeah, that's okay. Like I was thinking that there's a, there's a podcast that I listen to, which is, um, it, it are, it is the evening talks by, um, by Thanissaro Biku, who we talked about here before. Ajahn oh, Jeff. Oh, sure. Big, big fan. Big Ajahn fan Jeff. of the And he, they record the morning talks and the evening talks. The evening talks go on a little bit longer. And I, they, let's, get a little, let's, let's get a little crazy, huh? It does, yeah. But you listen to this, and this is a guy who has been, you know, meditating and teaching meditation and teaching Buddhist Thai forest style meditation. And what's at the core part of the Thai forest meditation and Thai meditation and Thai Buddhism being the closest to, they think, the original Buddhism that the Buddha created 2,600 years ago, that part of this tradition was to like go off into the forest by yourself for a period of time, meditating and just being out there. And now they, they still, they don't really do that that much anymore. But even the idea of like, there are people who go to this monastery and, and kind of live there and he's been out there living there. And, you know, it's, it's like when you go and you do something like that, even if it's just, you spend a day or a few days on vacation or you do something different that gets you out of your routine and you come back and you're like, Oh, what happened while I was gone? Oh, wow. All of these different things happened. You can kind of feel one of two ways about it. You can either feel like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I missed it. Or, Oh, I've missed so much. I'm so far behind. Or you can think to yourself, you know what? That thing that I decided to do instead of paying attention to this stuff was actually a valuable thing. And that, you know, in reality, you're not really missing out on that much. Like if I went if I went to some monastery before Twitter ever happened and came back, I'm just talking about Twitter specifically, and came back and missed all of Twitter, missed the rise, the fall, the fail well, down to where it is now. And and someone told me about this thing called Twitter. I don't know if I would feel like, oh, I I missed out on this really big thing. And I'm not picking on Twitter. I'm just kind of randomly saying that. But I'm this is a rambling way of saying, I think that the quality of human experience and the things that we do that bring us joy and that connect us with other people, whether that's face-to-face or over chat or reading a book that somebody wrote 100 years ago, all of these things can be incredibly enriching to your life. And I found that for me, I got very, for a long time, kind of focused on or sucked up into this, what's next? What's the new thing? What's this thing that's coming out? How come I didn't know about that app uh, until two hours after it was released? And 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 taking kind of a bigger step back from that, it it feels very nice. I imagine it feels the way things felt in mid-century America where you just read the newspaper and learned about some things. And it's kind of quaint in a way to to not do some of these things because, you know, there's that urgency and that sense of like, well, you're missing out if you don't do it. You're missing out on this thing. And now I feel like, you know what, it's it's okay to miss out on things sometimes. Does that make any sense? Well, of course it makes sense, Dan. Um, 
No, I mean, that totally makes sense. I'm, I'm not sure there's that many things about uh, mid-century America that a lot of people would want to return to. But yeah, sure. Well, I'll take that. <laughs> I'm just, I, I like stupid stuff that wastes time. I'm just picky about what, where I do it. Yeah. Uh, and I think everybody should be. I think you should decide, like, there's nothing, um, there's nothing noble about looking down your nose at the entire world who's having fun at things. That's just no way to live. Uh, I, I'm just, I... This is a not nothing. I have nothing Buddhisty to add about this, except insofar as uh, attention is a sunk cost, and so you have to be careful about what you allow to take and hold your attention for how long. I mean, you know, if you're going to go to an amusement park, uh, it's a good idea to just get into it. Like whatever you know, whatever it is you're going to do, yeah. I think it's useful to find a way to get into it. And to like not be a bystander and to be and to be somebody who's helping make it better and thinking about the other people you're doing it with and how to be amusing and how not to be a dick. And there's all kinds of ways that you can whatever you decide to participate in, like do it in a cool way. So, you know, I'm but I, so as far as the so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't I don't have that much to say about the, the meditation part. It, it, I, that's a good thing. I mean, you know, we should we should do things, I guess, like that. I, I just mean to say more like be careful because attention when I say attention is a sunk cost. What I mean is that. Um, once you put a certain amount of time, intention, and then importantly, emotion into something, it's hard to stop. So like once you decide that you're really mad about something today, uh, it's easy to start, for example, in the case of something like Twitter, like going out and just being real mad for a while. And I would just say, be careful not to do that for uh, six years. Like, you know, be, <laughs> be circumspect about what's allowed to hold your attention for that long. Right. It's, it's, this is not so different from how I like to distinguish between being busy and being time constrained. That sounds like a precious distinction to a lot of people who've never bothered to make the distinction. I'm not against wasting, wasting time. I'm just really into wasting time in, in my favorite ways and to minimize the amount of wasted time, which sounds like a paradox to some people. Like, how are you allowed to be a fancy about your time here and then not fancy about your time there? And I'm like, well, being fancy about my time almost everywhere lets me be however the hell I want to be when I'm not. And I think that's a, that's an important, valuable thing that you have to claim for yourself. But to your other point, I, I think this actually, as is my want, this actually feeds into our topic for today because I cannot personally think of a better example of what you're describing than the – it wasn't so slow, but the growth of social networks where – Right. So, so like if you found out like you go somewhere and you suddenly find out a bunch of your friends are all getting on to Friendster. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of what the early ones were before Friendster was the was one that felt really, really. But there was the, in the you know, mid 2000s, there was this explosion. It felt like of these social networks. And there seemed to be a similar pattern to almost all of them. First of all, a handful of cool kids would be on it. Often it was invite only. Right. So then the cool kids that would totally it was sort of like um like where's groups where it trickles down from the people who work in the dubbing studios all the way down to script kiddies. We're like, first of all, you got those super cool kids. These 10 cool kids have an invite and that trickles down and trickles down and everybody goes, Oh my gosh, I got to get on the new hotness. And it is really fun, but there's this giant explosion of activity, especially for two days to some extent for two weeks. And then it really peters off after a few months because guess what? Another one comes along, right? Is it, no, is, let me ask you, is that making sense? Yeah. Do you remember these explosions? Yeah. Where like, you, you, you made a social media or made a network site. Kind of. We did. That was the whole thrust, right? Yeah. Was that you would like share wine with your buddies? Yeah. Right. But I'm just saying like you remember that feeling of like, you know, and, you know, then so I feel like that went on for, for quite a while before we consolidated around this handful of ones that almost everybody used. As I, as I sit here today, I still can't believe how fast MySpace went away. 
my, I, I've got jokes about MySpace and talks that I've done that felt incredibly current at the time and now sound like something from the 1600s. We're like, yeah, well, you know, because MySpace obviously is going to be huge forever. And now that's become a niche group for, I guess, certain, especially like ethnic groups tend to congregate on MySpace. But, you know, Facebook and Twitter is where a lot of people go now. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that, like, that to me was a good example of what you're describing, which is like, ah, I've got to get in on this. Not least because I got to get my username and I got to put up my profile picture and get my Zelda coins and all that kind <laughs> yeah. of stuff. But isn't that kind of what you're talking that about? That is like, exactly. Less, less of the need to like have to go chase that, you know, every uh, every few weeks. That's the thing that gets very it 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 gets to be kind of stressful in a way, and I like that that there is, are a few big ones now. It used to be. Remember Ning. I do. Ning was like some Ning. kind of a service you could you could sign up for Ning and then you could create your own community within oh, Ning. Right, I do remember this. So if, this was around the time that like what was the one like the what was the Kevin Rose one with oh, the K's yeah, in it like yeah. Jocker or Waka right. or something like that. Yeah, I think Ning is still around. I'm looking at it right now. I, just, I, I remember like being on nothing interrupt, but I, I remember being on MacBreak Weekly, and it seemed like you know I felt like there was a lot of proximity to that because Leo was always trying those out and saying you know follow me on this new service, and right? Do this one too and that one. But yeah, <laughs> I remember there just felt like there was this explosion by I want to say 2006 2007. It felt like it was really shaken out to, to where even and there were so many comers in these little sub areas. You had your things like um, the the check in site. Uh, Gowala and then Gowala and then you had the one what's the what's the one where like I'm I'm the mayor of uh, Four, four Square Four Square yeah. uh, would come along there was one that I used to love called Bright Kite ah. that I think I, I back in the day I remember I, I would always talk about how Bright Kite was uh, meant to be a giant social service that was used exclusively by my wife and me <laughs> we, we only followed each other and it had this extraordinary ability to say like it would geolocate uh, you could send photos. You could do all of it. You could make it private. And of course, they gave give up on that because there's no money to be made in creating things that are useful for two people. But uh, no, but you're right. And it wasn't until like, and I guess you know, Facebook was was chugging along. But even I'm going to say up to what 2008, I, wasn't MySpace still kind of the the gorilla? You know, and th- it's really funny that you bring that up. I never had a MySpace account. To my knowledge, I never intentionally visited a MySpace page. I avoided it somehow completely. I'm not saying I never went to one and looked at it. I'm saying I never like was I never used MySpace. Well, you were surrounded by it though. I mean, whether or not you chose to, you quote unquote, it was use everywhere. Remember, yeah. In the same way that today, like if I want to look at pictures of my kid at SPCA camp, I have to go to a Facebook page. Right. Like that's that used to be Shutterfly, <sighs> but now it's this this gross Facebook page. But no, whether you want to do it or not, it depends on where the other people go. And as we'll talk about when we get to officially get to the topic, you know what I'm calling network effect and critical mass—the ability to consolidate around a few number of these kind of carriers that you sort of can't afford not to be there in a lot of cases. But yeah, there's so many. There's so, I'm trying to look here: social networking services on Wikipedia. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Mini, mini, mini. But I agree with you. I feel, and I, I'm not even trying to piss from the high ground here. I just—it doesn't. The effort of getting into that versus the payoff. Okay, I will be an old man for a second. <laughs> I, I've said before that I feel like success in life is you know minimizing the number of these different islands you have to deal with. Like you never feel less successful than when you have like a minimum wage, multiple minimum wage jobs. 
right? When you've got like two or three jobs to make ends meet yeah. and they're all not paying very well, yeah. like that's the worst. Ideally, you want to get to where you make a little more dough and have fewer things to do. And you can get to choose to be a little, be a little choosy about how you spend your time. Part of my idea, and this very much threads through what we'll talk about today, producing fewer islands, producing fewer things that require even tiny slivers of time and attention for increasingly small results. So, you know, there's such a, there's so many pros and cons to the consolidation of like social things to basically come, coming down to like, I feel like these, there's these two icons you see on everything at this point. And sometimes I think that's good. There's one I use a lot and one I don't use at all where I can avoid it. But I think that's actually kind of good in some ways is that we don't have to tend to all these little gardens that, you know, three people look at. That's a great way to say it. You know, we have something like Facebook where you can, you know, you can join these different pages or these different groups and it's all right there among all the other million updates that you'll see. But, you know, you'll see if if this one group that you're in, if they're talking about this topic that's interesting, it'll pop up and it's all in one place. And I understand why a lot of people in the beginning no, if you had said to somebody back at this Ning time period or back when, you know, Dan and I did uh, did Corked, if you mm-hmm. had said that at some point there will be one place that everybody will use and everybody will go to, I would have said, no way everybody's going to want to be on one thing. Like, that's impossible. Like, that will never happen. And yeah, it totally happened. And the idea that we were making all of these separate little islands, these little silos, these separate little things – it made sense at the time. And also there was very much this desire to like create something that was different and unique and a special place just for people who like this kind of thing. And there was this feeling, especially of like Facebook of like, I don't want to, I don't want to put it out there. You know, that's, that's not where you want to put this. It feels like, that feels like bleeding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the sense that, well, imagine, I mean, let's, let's, I guess let's skip the front matter and get to the topic. Um, Imagine, for example, going to, Somebody at the New York Times, let's say even circa 2008, 2009. Imagine going to somebody at the New York Times, Washington Post, you know, any of the the big newspapers and magazines and saying, um, guess what? You're a few – not only, as you probably know, you're a few years away from <laughs> going tits up. But can you imagine a future where you spend resources on developing things that are exclusively to get stuff pushed into Facebook because that's where everybody is? Right. I, I mean like – even if they believed that, they would never say, oh, of course, obviously. that No, that was competition. And, you know, that I guess is – and I'm, I don't keep up with this stuff super well, but I, it's my understanding that that – for a lot of people who run publishing – for people who have big websites at this point, like uh, for most mainstream stuff, a giant amount, increasingly large amount of their uh, traffic comes from an increasingly small number of places. So like it's funny like back on in the forty three folders days um, it would be like stumble upon right uh, stumble upon was always would have these weird bursts of activity for things that were three years old it was always very strange <laughs> <clears throat> dig you could be counted on you know dig at the time was the gorilla in terms of uh, that was the Reddit of its time I guess but um, that would not those even though those islands were were big but they were still kind of islands it's just that now what used to be islands are now approaching more of a country or a continent and everything else is starting to feel like an island which is a a reversal that i don't think many of us could have predicted would come as quickly uh as it did a few years ago um Let's see how far in are we? Oh, we got some time. Yeah. Do, do you want to jump into the the the, the actual uh, kind of topicy topic here? Yeah. I guess we're already doing it. Yeah. 
Well, just to give context, we, you know, like I said, we wanted to talk about things that have changed over time and how we think about things, but also, you know, allow ourselves to be a little bit ponderous and philosophical about how and why so many things have changed and where things have sort of tipped, where things that seemed so impossible a while ago um, are not only possible, but happening and evolving now. So last week we talked about, what did we talk about last week? We talked a lot about... It was like the first half, it became the first half of a of a show. <laughs> I agree. Maybe this, yeah, I think this is actually kind of the second half. Yeah. I, what do we, I guess we talked about, like, I, uh, we, talk, well, we talked about a lot of things, but one of the things I, I wanted to highlight was how many fewer separate productivity systems or parts of productivity systems, how many fewer of those I feel like I need today for whatever reason. And even accepting that part of that is changes in the kind of quote unquote work that I do. Mm. I really think the technology has changed so vastly that there are things that can be afforded now that remove layers and steps and the need for workflows where we really did, if you wanted to do certain stuff a while back, you had to be conversant in how to make those islands talk to each Mm -hmm. other. Yes. So, I I mean, you know, things like I feel like I need fewer productivity workflow things. And then we kind of started getting into the services in particular that we were using more and less. And maybe we can continue that this week. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Because so much it really has changed. When we were texting about this, I really started to kind of mm-hmm. take that mental inventory of the number of services, the number of apps you mentioned, email, how that's different today. And I really, if, you know, I often think about that. Like, what if I were to show the five-year younger version of myself what I'm doing today or how I'm, how I'm just, using Just even today. when we started this show. Like five, five, and yeah, five years and change yeah. ago. How much has changed in that amount of time? It's crazy. Yeah. Like, what, what do you think is the first thing that really would surprise you? Hmm. I, I think that five... Podcast got kind of popular. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that certainly... But I, I, as I know you did, also both of us, um, we knew that. We pretty much knew that was going to happen. But the amount... The way that, that podcasts went, for example, from... You know, loading loading songs onto your iPod from iTunes. You know, that to the way that people listen now where, you know, I don't want to say universally, but there's such a large number of people that are listening to this right now in their car, over their car speakers, while their phone sits in their pocket or in the, you know, in the console right. or something. Uh, Bluetooth to their car. Like that has become the standard way, I think, for a lot of people to listen um, you know, the idea that people are listening to things and walking around with headphones in their ears mo- or over their ears most of the time. Like five years ago, that that was not really a thing that people did. You wouldn't see people mm-hmm. as much just walking down the street or sitting. At, I mean, you saw them at work in their cube, but you wouldn't see them on public transportation or walking down the street or even at parties with headphones on. Uh, but that's, you know, people are listening to, to things now. Music is streamed now universally. That's that's how people listen to it. Five years ago, that wasn't really that wasn't really the way people listened to music. They were still. So, yeah, like like 15 years ago when I was using Rhapsody on a PC. Right. Uh, there really was not much like that. But you still had to be at the PC listening. I feel like this is, again, t- uh, to talk about something we talked about last week. F- like I said, I-, I feel like there was such a huge 
it's not that this one thing changed everything. It's that this one thing is when I can peg a time for stuff feeling different, which, as I said last week, was when you no longer had to be tethered. Your iPhone or iOS device no longer had to be tethered to your Mac in order to get updates. Right. Which seems like, in retrospect, that one event, not maybe not such a big deal. Okay, you can do wireless stuff. Now that's cool. But, you know, there's so many things that we now do wirelessly and automatically that really change. So when you talk about podcasts, well, I've, I've always known podcasts are good. I never thought they'd get this popular. But I don't think they ever could have gotten this popular without that automatic and wireless ability. Yes. So whether you're using the standard podcast app on iOS or you're using a third-party client, you know, you don't have to sit there and deliberate over this stuff anymore. And, he, and especially if you're somebody like me who loves Overcast, I'm forever like, you know, now we send each other Overcast links because it's got the it's got a timestamp in it. So now I can go out and try something and say add this to Overcast and now that's sitting in there. If I want to get more, I can get it. Anyway, not not to just, you know, push Overcast, but 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 that that pattern is 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 important. Is the the untethered lifestyle uh, is one of the things that is affording things we couldn't do before. I also again I never want to overlook Dropbox. I think it's really easy to overlook how important Dropbox and Dropbox like functionality mm-hmm. means for the present day and for the future. Um, so I, I guess I, so. I've got well Dropbox. Here. You mentioned it. I want to go into that a little bit because yeah. it has completely changed. In, in so many ways, the way that people work, like I'll give you, you know, everyone knows the typical example, which is I've got a computer at work and a computer at home. And this allows me to work on a file and then close it. And then it's there. Uh, people, I know a lot of people that use it just primarily as like backup. Like they have one computer or one device, they save everything there and they know that it's, it's being backed up. And that concept is... I think foreign to a lot of people, just the way that it works that, wait a minute, there's this special folder on my computer and anything I put in there automatically is just, it is backed up on the internet. That's a weird, a weird Mm -hmm. way to think about it. And I remember when my mom was first using it, I went, as soon as it came out, I'm like, ma, you got to use this. Like you just have to, because she had lost a hard drive at one point and I had to like repair it and pull files off of it. And it was a nightmare. And uh, and I remember just going going over there and installing it and being like, just use this. And be, because I probably failed to explain quite in, enough of how it was working, I said, put everything in there. Think of this as your new documents folder. Save everything in there. It, in her mind, she was not realizing that you just put the files in there. She was using like the website to upload them. And she's like... I don't want to upload them every time I edit them. And I was like, upload them? What do you mean? It didn't even remember. I didn't even remember that there was a web interface to Dropbox. There there is. It's it's there, you know. And and so, like, that was just such a shift for me that I immediately was, like, all in on Dropbox. Of course, this is what we've needed for so long. But there are so many other ways to use it. I had a – when I had a, a lot of different machines here in, in my production workflow, anytime I would want to um, – put like a a config file or something i would just drop it into this one dropbox folder that was shared to all the little machines on the network and it was i knew all the files will always be right there i could create it on my machine and then go to one of like 10 other machines it would be right there and there's so many ways to use it it is fundamentally changed the way that i think about data in that yes i still have lots of backups but i now know that there is this place on the internet where my file and previous versions of that file are just sitting there waiting and I don't have to I don't have to think about it the way that I used to have to think about it. And the idea of burning 
burning DVDs or for, you know, floppy drives or thumb drives. It's, it's changed all of that. Well, and think about, it wasn't what, two years ago? I want to say less, but I mean, remember that Apple's solution, I think interim solution to this until fairly recently was you go to the iWork website and upload a document with your browser, Mm -hmm. which is a very like 2004 uh, way to, way to handle that problem. Um, and now you, it's, it's, it, you know, there's that, that old bit though, you know, Jeff Goldblum line about, you know, there is no step three with the iMac. Right. Right. I think that's, that's part of the complexity is sometimes it's difficult to explain because when that abstraction is handled well, and when the technology is in place to scale up and work in a way that you don't even notice it or have to notice it, it's a little bewildering. It is, as they say, you know, indistinguishable from magic. Uh, and I do want to talk about that. I've, I've got I've got two big patterns here. I, I think um, that to to address um, in terms of so many changes. Um, and, and I have to admit, a lot of this is my thesis is that we. I'm going to forgive me for the saying something really obvious. Um, you know, email. <laughs> we don't love email, but email has existed as the spackle for the internet since it's existed. It is, it, I think, almost inarguably. Basically, if you're on the internet, there's two much, two things that you're pretty much guaranteed to have. You're, you know, you got some way to log in, as we used to say. So you got a username and a password somewhere that gets you onto the information superhighway. But the other thing that, like, I'm guessing over 98% of people have always had is an email account. It became, it got big because it was everywhere. I mean, it w- it was everywhere in the sense that everyone had access to it. Which over time, I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole here, but that's that's how email became a problem, was that anything could go there anytime for anyone about anything. And therein eventually would lie the madness. Um, but I think, I think to understand the disruption of not needing or wanting or using email as much, two big, two big patterns. The one big pattern, uh, network effect and critical mass. Meaning, it would take something almost, not quite, but almost on the scale of email to disrupt email, right? Mm. So... You know, still to this day, there's so many ways where if you're dealing with people you don't know very well, maybe it's a school related thing, maybe it's a sports team for your kid, that's still how you're mostly gonna, uh, hopefully, maybe get with people. Yeah. But, but then again, I mean, I can't believe how often like stuff is already it's inside school pages, which is a horrible website, yeah. or it's on, or it's on Facebook, or it's on somewhere. But that person, even you know, even quote unquote, that person who's not a huge nerd in the way we would think of it, knows to start by going to the place where everybody already yeah. is, which in that case is Facebook. Right. Like, why, why recreate the wheel? But so network effect and critical mass. The um, definitions of those are in uh, show notes. But in each, I mean, just in a, in a nut. What both of those mean for our purposes is that you could have the greatest thing in the world, but if only one person has it, it's not going to be that useful. Let's talk about the telephone. The telephone, if there's only one telephone in the world, it is not a useful device. All you need is one more telephone in the world to really understand what a telephone is for. Ha ha, right? Well, think about all the years we had a computer that didn't connect to anything. Yes. You could, comprint, you, you could uh, get to the laser rider. But you didn't get to talk to it about sports. And but you know? but it never occurred to us that it could. Why, why would you? Why right? would you? I mean, it's why a, would it's you? a tool. Yeah. It's like well, my typewriter doesn't connect to other people, does it? Why would my why would my computer do that? You know. And I we I've been watching uh, a whole bunch of TV shows um, and uh, that where that are sort of set in 60s, 70s, even 80s, 
and you know people will eventually like computers will show up on their desk and like it's it is a it is a uh, a thing like it's a thing the way that a typewriter is a thing and and it it's you know it's like an appliance yeah and i remember when i was i was in summer camp which is when i was about 11 years old which is when i was first in, really introduced to computers in the sense of like this is a computer this is what it does here's how to program in basic and it was the apple II. and i had written these programs and they did things like print you could like you know, they would print a Christmas tree on the screen and like you could it could ask you questions of like your age and tell you when you were born and, you know, those kinds of little things. Mm-hmm. And I I had written these and I had it on the on the floppy disk and I wanted to show it to my dad. And I lived in Florida and he lived in Philadelphia. And so when I came to went to visit him, he said, Well, I, I have an Apple three which was a very weird thing. It was like a business version. And he had this at work. He was uh, like doing academic planning and financial stuff. And like this was the machine that he had. And he had to run some special emulator that would let the disk f- that I was using with the Apple II work and the Apple III and run, run these basic programs. Right. And, like that, that's not what it's designed for. And I remember I had a conversation with him. And I said, you know, I imagine that th- – more and more the world will get like Tron where uh, the the computers that are out there, the big ones are out there. They'll get bigger and smarter and, and faster and we'll all just connect to those things. And and he said, I think the opposite is going to be true. I think the computers that we have on our desktop, uh, which he didn't use the word desktop, but he probably said in, in our office or on our desk, are going to get more and more powerful and people will do more with those. And it's interesting because he was obviously right, but the part that none of us really saw, you know, back in the in the early 80s was this this connection that was going to happen. And it's fascinating because really back then and until we got past the modem stage of the Internet, there were lots of people I knew that did, they didn't have a modem or they didn't want to pay for inter- – why would I pay for Internet access? Like that's dumb. What do I need that well, for? I mean fax, fax is a hack. I mean it really is a hack. But it was a brilliant hack for what it needed to do because you now had a way to take something that you had previously only thought of as a physical file. Right. Or maybe it was the only thing available as a physical right. file. Maybe it's a birth certificate, something like that. And, and to be able to send a, a, the equivalent of a physical object somewhere else felt magical because you could do what you get by hacking on uh, phone lines. Yeah. It's kind of brilliant, yeah. but now it seems. Well, it's funny because this episode of uh, Reconcilable Differences we put out a, a couple weeks ago is called Six Fax Machines. And uh, it's... it's, it's um, uh, Syracuse and I talking about the future and how how like Syracuse thinks about which kinds of things are going to be important in thinking about the future and in the titular line from that was that's what the future felt like when in a time when we had fax machines the future felt like oh maybe you'll have like the power of six fax machines because that's how we tend to think about these things we think about it based on what we have now so like you know you and your dad were both right kind of right yeah in a way it's just yeah. that it's just that in his case it wasn't the desktop computer in your office it became this thing the size of a deck of cards in your pocket that's that's the part right and again in, to, to Syracuse's credit the thing he keeps saying over and over in this episode is you look at you know you look at any kind of idea of what the future's near or far future is gonna look like in any science fiction almost any science and speculative fiction um, there's one thing that almost everybody missed that seems so obvious now which is the internet or whatever 
like long distance, easy communication. Right. That's more than just a telephone, a telegraph, a walkie talkie. Think about how many we've joked about, you know, um, the matrix and the importance of telephones. Yeah. But like, think about how many plots fall apart if you have anything even approaching the ease and ubiquity of communications that we now have in the 2000s. Like nobody, that was something nobody, almost nobody saw coming. Not nearly as much as the the famous jetpacks, spaceships, time travel, all that kind of stuff. But like, you know, but yet you couldn't know that, uh, you know, no spoilers that Alderaan was gone. Right, you couldn't know right. until you got there. So uh, let me just finish this one dumb thing and I'll let you do your thing you like. The two, anyway, the two big patterns just as a... Uh, I know you love the ones where I prepare, but but I've been thinking about this a lot. So the network effect and critical mass part, in order to supplant email, you're going to have to get something that is as almost as ubiquitous as email and is more flexible and or powerful than email. And that is a tall order that nobody came even remotely near until recently. We've had sponsors on here who make intranets. You ever had an intranet you loved using before stuff like Igloo or before, you know, the roll your own stuff? Right. Before 2003, did you ever have an intranet you loved using? They were brutal. They were so hard to use. So you had to force people to go get into it. You had to full force them to use the wiki. Nobody wanted to use that because it was still easier to what? To just email people. If you want to know where the Henderson report is, you just email everybody. You CC everybody. Right. Everybody's got the Everyone email. Everyone has it now. Yeah, everybody's got the email. <laughs> But so that was the challenge. I feel like that was the challenge. I'm no Kevin Kelly, but I feel like the challenge for a long time was there was nothing that came along that uh, got enough network effect or critical mass as email had. And so that that was the big, uh, you know, that was the big, big guy to beat. Right. And then consequently for that to come along, then what you now what I what we're experiencing today is the removal of steps and layers where. But so can I just continue real quick? Yeah. I'll be done. Yeah. Okay, so here's the thing. If email is your lingua franca, and this is the way you communicate with your team, what kind of stuff are you doing? Well, Janice is over here working on the Henderson Report in MS Word. And now, um, you know, and uh, Alice over here wants to get a copy of that. So Alice has to email Janice and say, can you email me the Henderson Report? Sure, here it is. Attachment. Oh, I forgot to attach it. I didn't get the attachment. What? You sent this to the wrong person, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. (laughs) Hilarity ensues. Eventually, Alice gets it, makes her changes, and then Bob says, hey, I need the Henderson report. Well, let me CC this. Now, Janice and Alice and Bob, everybody's in on the CC chain. Hey, do you want to go to Chili's for lunch? It's getting passed around. That's how you used to collaborate was you would send a Microsoft Word document. Right. Well, now you got Google Docs. Yeah, like I was, somebody sent me a contract, you know, for for like a like a, and they're like, oh, you know, we have track changes on, and uh, so check out the red lines and make sure, you know, and it felt like I had stepped backwards in time. By years, Absolutely. you know. Yeah. Tanya Angst was on a recent episode of Clockwise, and she, of course, works with Tidbits and putting on all those books. And she talked about how, how different and how wonderful it is, how, how weird it is for some people to be sitting in different places on the planet, all looking at the same uh, Google Doc. Right. And to see other people's typing while you're typing and how it is a real paradigmatic change for, quote unquote, authors to sit there and watch people changing your sentences while, you know, not long after you've written them. <laughs> but that, that's what the future looks like. So, so number one, network effect there had, and critical mass. There had to be enough people using this and not hating using it. That, and it had to be wide enough that it could supplant things like email or like the telephone for that matter. Like to not need voicemail the way – I mean nobody leaves voicemails anymore, no, right? No. But so then when you remove the layers, you get things like the, like you don't have to pass the MS Word document. You think about things like how – when I, if I schedule something today and it's more than one person, I just scheduled dinner with Matt Howie over DM. That was easy. Right. Boom. <laughs> right. Finished. But 
to get scheduled for this recent episode I was on of uh, this game show uh, that they do on The Incomparable, there's seven people. Uh, the show is called Low Definition, and it's very funny. They, um, there's seven people. You got to do a doodle, <laughs> right? Yeah. It, how crazy would it be to sit there and email and try to schedule? You do that today, you look like an insane person. And if you need to find a fact about the Henderson Report, you don't, no, no, you don't need to CC 20 people in email anymore. You can now go to Slack. And if you have the paid account, you can find anything that anybody has ever said mm-hmm. about that mm-hmm. inside of Slack. I just wanted – so I'll, I'm done with my over-preparing. But I just wanted to like to talk – in order to talk intelligently for me about the stuff I do and don't use, I need to acknowledge how much the bane of my existence being email is so much less of a factor than it used to be, honestly. I, I don't want to jinx myself with that. But it's, it's gotten to the point where there are – how do I want to put this? There are social alternatives that I like a lot better, things like Twitter and Tumblr and things like Slack for the social component. Functional stuff though, right? So again, Slack for the functional stuff, but Doodle, Dropbox, Google, Google Docs, all these kinds of things, you're removing that step. You no longer need the extra communication layer of email to, to either do an attachment, alert people to a change, any of those other things. In retrospect, that seems like a horrible medium for that. But lacking those other things, it made total sense. So now today, you know, I got a lot of smart friends. And they usually have a good way to contact them. They have a good way to contact me. Increasingly, that's text or it's Slack or it's rooms within Slack. It's all ways to, like, work out this quick thing without needing to get everybody involved and, like, and fiddle with it. And I think that is a massive change that helps get us toward what we're doing differently. Now, do you think that things are kind of coalescing into one of a few different ways to connect with somebody? Like, you know, you mentioned Slack. It used to be that you that email was the way to do it. And then there was, you know, things like ICQ. And right. it, there were so many different, and there still are so many different messaging apps. And so many of them have similar features, competing features. You know, think about, for example... Uh, you know, iMessages is the obvious one to talk about, but there are certainly others. There's Telegram, there's WhatsApp, and depending on which country you're in, you know, there will be one that is sort of the leader. And there's so many of those. And people are all, you know, they're all using different ones based on what they, what, what they or their friends are using. Do you think we'll see the same kind of consolidation happen where we'll, we'll find the apps, whether it's like, oh, Pretty much everybody uses this one and Slack and, and, and that's it. Or, I mean, do, what's your thought on that? Are we just, are we at the same point that pre-Facebook time where there were all these lots of little social networks? Here's one for wine. Here's one for dog lovers. Here's one for people who keep fish as pets. You know what I mean? Are, <laughs> right, we, are right. we just using different apps and one day there will be just one? I don't know. That's, that's a really good question. I mean, one thing I can't help but imagine is that we're two steps away from seeing, well, maybe one step away, but at least one step away from seeing something I think is inevitable, which is a giant amount of overt competitors to Slack. Um, there are other things out there that, that do it. There are some that do it well. There are some that do a subset of those things very, very well. Mm. But, but Slack is sui generis in a lot of ways, uh, in, even insofar as it is a reimagining of things like um, – IRC. Yeah. It brings in a lot of aspects from different places, but it's, I don't know. It's, it's the kind of thing you could have cobbled together in a dream 10 years ago, <laughs> but I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that there have not been more overt attempts, especially by the big companies. Mm-hmm. I think that is almost no, because the thing is, as, as great as Slack is, it is costly. I'm not going to say it's expensive, but it is costly. 
if you like really buy into it and it's worth buying into it if you're using it for a business that's i mean what it it, it certainly costs less than like microsoft office and it's much more useful to me but uh i think that but so and then the intermediate step the other step before that is like we're going to see a million clones we're going to see a million you know what i mean yeah. we're going to see a million strap-ons where people are going to like or bolt-ons of trying to like make it do this thing but i i don't know I mean, obviously, everything everything will change. The way the future changes in ways we can't understand are the intermediary steps between crazy future thing and where we are now. And it's, it's virtually impossible to predict those things. But I do feel I feel somewhat confident in saying that eventually email is going from being going to go from being email to being a fax machine to eventually being the VHS in 2016. Yeah. Meaning. Email in 2016 is, well, if you care about anything, you better, if you care about a thing in the world, mm-hmm. you better still be watching your email. Right. Um, you know, see also inbox zero philosophy. Because as long as there's anything that could be in there that could be important to you, you're going to think about it a little bit. But I feel like we're surprisingly close to that becoming more like the fax machine which is this machine, this $200 machine you have in your house because you have to use it with a lawyer and accountant two times a year or whatever. Right. That you don't, how many times do you send things to your friends via fax? You keep it around as a court of last resort. Yeah. I, I saw or, somebody who was there in their early 20s and they were saying, you know, jokingly, like, the uh, person I was talking to on the phone told me to fax it to them, had to ask my boss where the fax machine was and how to use it. You know, it's it's... It's so far out of the realm of people who are not, I would say, already in their 30s that it's just sort of outside of the scope of a thing that people know about or use. And yet it, to it me, was, like, uh, nothing it was more important. There, it was more important up through the 90s. It was more important than email oh, until yeah. about, I'm going to say until about 1998, it was far more important than email. Email was like a joke thing that like... The people at the very top and the very bottom used mostly for not work. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. And it's so true. And that, you know, for for us, like faxing, I faxed daily, sent and received. I had a fax in, in my house, in my home. Mm-hmm. Like that wasn't the first thing here. you buy when you get a home office. You get a computer, a desk, and a fax machine, yeah. and a printer. That like you, that's and then they came up with the have. unified fax machine slash printer slash scanner. Yeah. You remember? I love that? my Epson. I love my Epson. Does it still fax? <laughs> I don't know. We don't have a home telephone. <laughs> right. And, and and like the idea, if you, again, talking about what we would tell our, our uh, past selves, if I yeah. went back in time and said, hey, you know what? Like one day you're not even going to have a phone line in your house. I'd be like, you're stupid. What are you talking about? Like now you, say, want, oh, yeah, and you I, won't need oh, it either. You know, I'm going to use you. But what would your guess be? Your guess would be, oh, you'll use FTP. Yeah. Why? How? Well, how that's closer. That's closer to our understanding of like, how would we use the Internet for this? Yeah, stuff? exactly. Um, and then what was the other point? Oh, and then finally, so like in that, in that, uh, I don't after this, I want to hear about something you like, but in that cascade, what I'm saying is that like, you've got the stuff that you look at, uh, without totally hating it every morning. Like for me, like I, you know, I mostly like looking at Twitter. I like looking at Slack, you know, I've got to look at my email cause who knows? Mm. Um, so there's that, which is like, you know, becoming less, I have to say in the last two years, I send maybe three years, I send and I get a lot, a lot, a lot less email. Yes. Some people, I've seen people like, I want to say, Stephen Wolfram. I've seen people who publish uh, fascinating charts of the amount of email they've done over the years. And it does tend to like go way up at times of like a book release, a product release. You know, that, that, that's normal. That spackle still exists for a reason. But 
So the cascade being from email to, to again the fax machine being something you still really have to keep around. But like, why, why do I say like VHS? Well, VHS you may find somewhere in a dusty pile a VHS tape you completely forgot about. It's probably dead. It's probably you know humidity has probably caused it to become a solid block of plastic. But if there's a chance that has this one video of the one time Grandpa did his funny <laughs> dance at Easter, you're willing to not only like try and get that thing preserved, right. but maybe even go out and like get a service that can artisanally move that onto a digital. Now, I'm saying that's that's the next chord of this is like then you become a hobbyist who's really into LPs or wax cylinders or something. Yeah. But, you know, I don't think email is anywhere near VHS status. I think it's still got a few years before it goes to fax status. But I can just tell you, as I sit here, it feels like a fax machine at this point compared to other better places to put it. Yeah. If John and I, if Syracuse and I, like we record tonight at 630, we record a new episode of Reconcilable Differences. So we look at our topics list. And we, we, I do that by like, we'll gently remind each other in a text. But then all the work we do is in that is in that document. Right. I'm going to be on Clockwise tomorrow. They say, come up with your question. I've got my question. That's in Google Docs. Why would you send emails back and forth if you can remove a layer, remove a medium, and go as close as possible to where that thing needs to be in order to get it accomplished? You go to FreshBooks. You send an invoice, right? You don't go to Microsoft Word for an invoice. What are you, nuts? You get closer and closer, uh, not to the metal. <laughs> you get closer and closer to the completion of that activity, and you disintermediate any number of unnecessary duplicative or costly steps. That's that's the trend. And maybe in our next portion, we can talk about that. Sounds good. But I would love to hear about something that you like. You know, we have been talking about the way that things are today and how they're different from the past, from a past world that we used to occupy. And one of those things, one of the things that has changed so much, we talk about services, right? Like we've been talking about the stuff we do on our computers specifically, but one of the things that has changed like my whole life is Amazon Prime that changed everything for me. The idea that I can go and like I have like smoothies in the morning and I use this one like smoothie mix and I, I found it in a store and the store didn't have it and I looked on Amazon, there it is on Amazon, right? And so like in Prime, you can have it in a day or two. And one of these really cool benefits that comes along with Prime that I don't even know if people realize this is Amazon Prime Music. And that is that is our sponsor, Amazon Ooh. Prime Music. The way this works, and it, you already have it. If you have Amazon Prime, you already have Prime Music. You listen ad-free to, they have over a million songs from all of your favorite artists. I mean, some of my favorites are there, Daft Punk, but they've got, you know, Bruno Mars, they got Daft Punk, they got, uh, you know, Katy Perry. I mean, come on. Rolling Stones, Bruce Springsteen. They're all there. They're adding more music all the time. And again, like this is a free benefit. It's included with a Prime membership. So most likely you already have it. They have great apps for pretty much every device in the whole world. We listen to it all the time here on the Amazon Echo. I listen uh-huh. to it on uh, on my uh, on my iPhone all the time when I'm driving. My kid listens to it on his iPod Touch because it's connected to my account so he can do that. Like it's so cool. And the other really cool thing is that they have like thousands of these prime playlists. So Amazon has people working there that go and they they kind of per, they create these playlists and then they customize them and personalize them and make these stations and this is the game right now is like who can come up with the best music service with the best uh the best playlist. 
so if you have an Amazon Echo, you can tell it, oh, play music from such and such a playlist. One of them that's pretty cool is Summer Now. So they have this one called Songs of Summer, which uh, is really cool because it's, it's Amazon Music Originals. Like they have these or- original artists, original performers, and people like that will be uh, will be coming on and putting their stuff out there. So it's it's really cool. There's this one, it's called Songs of Summer. And so many cool songs are on there but a lot of what i like about this is that these are they're like they're like covers so you know that great beach boys song uh, god only knows there mm-hmm. that's on there it's covered by someone called uh, brandy carlisle like check this out it's really really cool and i got a tip i got a tip don't 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 go out without me giving my tip let's do the tip well well you know i like to prepare uh, I was excited to hear about this because I use this all the time also with my Amazon Echo. And like so many things with the Amazon Echo, um, you have to remember to use it. And if you do remember to use it, it will serve you well. Um, if you are, um, I, well, let's put it this way. Let's do the math. If you have an Amazon Echo, there's probably a pretty good chance that you're a Prime user. And if you're a Prime user, you have Prime Music. Right. So just to be clear, you may not be aware that you've got a streaming service here that you can go and listen to. So here's here's to, this is straight out of the Alexa, or excuse me, the uh, Echo. Uh, you know, every Friday, basically, they send out this, like, here's what's new um, that you can do with your Echo. This is from June 10th. Try this one. So you say to the dingus, ready? Play, play nature sounds for sleep mm-hmm. from Prime. Mm-hmm. Have you done this? Yes. It's fantastic. My family loves this. You say, you use the trigger word and say, play nature words for sleep from Prime. And then you can say, set a sleep timer for 60 minutes. And so it'll play these wonderful nature sounds for you to fall asleep to and then turn it off for you after, after 60 minutes. It's pretty cool. It's all in there. All, it's all in there. In there. All in there. So if you don't have it, you can go become a Prime customer and then you'll get it. And uh, I recommend that anyway. But go check this out. They made a special URL just for us. What? It's uh, and it's it's talking about this cool playlist with their original uh, artists on it. It's amazonsongsofsummer.com slash back to work. That's that is the the domain amazonsongsofsummer.com slash back to work. Go there and uh, you'll be able to get this playlist. It's only available there. Go and check it out. Thanks very much to Amazon Prime Music for sponsoring Back to Work with Merlin Man. Buck buck. They have. One of the be- <laughs> one of the best. Um, I don't know what you call it a slogan. If you go to the uh, there's a Prime Music site. I love this. The only music streaming service with free two day shipping. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's really clever. <laughs> yes, I am a punk for the Amazon ecosystem. I really really like it a lot. It's it, and it is funny. It's I hate to peg myself as a dumb consumer, but you know. I think, it, it, honestly, so much of it, this is the end of the ad. Now we're talking about t- stuff again. But when I think about how much stuff in my quote-unquote productivity workflow involved, I mean, obviously, a huge amount of it was like write this thing, record this thing, do this thing, yeah, do this thing yeah, at the computer. Yeah. But a, a vast amount of what I do outside of being on a computer, having the life part of my life, involves errands. And a lot of those errands involve buying things. And this is just – this is one example. I'm not saying go out and become a big consumer, but it is – extremely handy to know we talked about this last week a little bit but it's nice to not have to have extra steps to accomplishing something like like i said like buying milk or you know like we just ran out of compost bags so if i chose to right now i could talk to my dingus and say reorder compost bags and it would take care of that for me removing many intermediary steps and again back to our point for today without those steps in those layers 
You don't need to email yourself a reminder to, to go pick up compost bags. Right. You don't have to leave yourself a vo- voicemail to right. remember to that. At the very least, you can just give yourself a reminder on your iOS device or your Mac. But even better, oh my gosh, Kobayashi Maru, like, let's hack the whole system and just go straight to that thing. Having been purchased is the one move, which uh, that is, talk about paradigmatic change. Now, that's not going to get as big, as fast, as easily, or as cheaply as email did. But to me, that is a model for the changes I want to have, is like the fewer steps I have to have, the happier camper. I right. Am. And it, you know, we talk about like efficiency and saving time and things like that. But when everything's just in one place or when there's really only one step to do something, how nice is that? It's really nice. And, you know, as I sort of stumbled over during your ad, I think, I think a big challenge, whether you're talking about Siri, whether you're talking about, um, not Alexa, we're talking about the Echo, shoot, talking about the Bash command line, mm-hmm. the biggest, the most daunting part is realizing that there's a difference. You don't have to, to go from nothing to everything. You know what I mean? Like, I still have a Bash book in my bathroom that I read here at work, <laughs> and I, I don't even use Bash that much, but it's been my bathroom book for years. All right. Learning the Bash shell, O'Reilly book, has been in there for years. Um, because, you know, but the truth is, like we've said a million times, if you were to see a pie graph, what, let's say 10, maybe 10 commands. I want to say five, but let's make it 10. There's 10 commands, um, that you're going to learn. And then if you learn the flags and attributes, mostly that's going to cover so much of what you need to learn. Just learning what you can do with the voice stuff, Mm -hmm. learning what you can do with your, with your prime account. That's a big step because it's very, I think it's very daunting to people. I I go, I do this thing periodically that I, I, it might annoy people. I don't care. But, you know, I like the idea of taking something I'm enthusiastic about and being able to share it with people. And so, for example, I'm really into Parks and Recreation. I talk about Parks Parks and Recreation a lot. It's what our family watches at night, every night. And so I will frequently post a funny GIF from Parks and Rec that everybody who likes Parks and Rec will see and laugh at. Everybody doesn't will go like, why are you posting a stupid GIF? Well, Let's be honest, this is emblematic of how we communicate differently today. That doesn't make any sense to you because you don't care and you hate GIFs. Well, it's a GIF for something you love. You think it's hilarious. So what do I do? The other day, I say, I do the Siri, well, I think it's my idea, but we've talked about it a lot on um, Reconcilable Differences. When you're talking to somebody about a new property that they might be interested in, I think it's valuable to say, here's where to start, here's my favorite, and here's the one that's widely considered to be the best. Yes, yeah, I start, saw you tweet something to that effect recently. Yeah, yeah. Like so, so like don't start with the best because is there an example of that many things in the world that are the, the best of that thing? That the reason they're the best. I mean, isn't it true? Most times, the reason they're the best is because it's a huge culmination of lots of things you couldn't appreciate without knowing the backstory. Like, don't send me the best episode of Buffy. I've only ever seen two episodes of Buffy. Email Dan. <laughs> uh, but now I've now, now the uh, so you get that's your, two more your fam- than me. <laughs> but ditto with favorite favorite and best that's a way of talking to fellow fans but you know i had the temerity to say like i think you can start with season two episode seven which is a wonderful episode um uh, uh called uh, greg pakaitis now am i telling you that is the best episode of the show i am not i already have another best episode am i telling you that that is my favorite episode of the show I am not. I'm telling you that's a good place to start. Why don't you tell people to start with episode one? Because guess what, genius? Anybody can figure out that if they want to go all the way to the beginning of a show, there's something called S1E1. And you know what? They know numbers and stuff. So now I I have to argue with some of my friends about, why would you tell someone to start with that? And what I said to five different people, in a funny way, 
you know, we're just shucking and jiving. It's like, look, 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 look. Like, first of all, I got 140 characters to do this nonsense in. And what I'm telling you is I think that is the first unmissable episode, mm. both in terms of quality and in terms of continuity. You don't have to agree with that. But that's the complexity. This is another complexity of how we communicate with each other today is that it's very difficult when you see people like using Emacs or you see people playing tennis or you see people doing parkour, like you may be instantly inclined to go like, that looks amazing. And I'd never be able to do that. Yeah. Or that looks stupid. I'd never want to do that. Sure. And with so many of the things we're talking about here, we still use email because it is familiar, because we have to. If all else fails, the court of last resort is email. That is like the, the bonehead way that we um, garrulously try to communicate a message often to a stranger. And so we're still we're still stuck in that same little pen of dealing with netiquette and like how do you say what's your closing for this? Do you say cheers or do you say sincerely or do you say best or do you say nothing? And <laughs> that there's no there's no book on that at this point that's going to make that better. We just have to hope it gets supplanted. And then when it is supplanted, I'm almost done. Then we have to find ways to help people learn to get into things without requiring that they go and buy an O'Reilly book or just give up. There's somewhere in between. And so that's part of this critical mass part is that there are enough people who kind of want to slash have to use Slack that it became huge. And then once they started using, most of them like found they kind of liked it, which I think helps a lot. I'll stop talking now. No, I think you're onto something here. And I think it's kind of the undercurrent thinking of all of this is that so much of this we're it involves kinds of two two things. One is almost like a level of education and understanding and acceptance of of people and what they will use. It it used to be weird to it used to be weird and interesting to have a fax machine at work, and then everyone had a fax machine at work. It mm -hmm. was just what you had, and then people would have them at home, and you'd be like. What? Why you must be like a millionaire if you have one at home? And yes, I am. And and then regular people had fax machines at home, and then people had computers at home, and the computers were connected to the internet, and that was not just AOL, but the real internet. And you had dial-up accounts, and then you had ISDN lines if you were serious, and then you had cable modem, and then cable modem became affordable. And this there has been this progression that has gotten us to the point that email is now ubiquitous. And no, it's not. If you're a millennial, if you're a young millennial. Email is for old people. Mm -hmm. Email is what you do at work because you have to and for old people. And that's what email is. It, it is or for something. If it's like it's almost like it's almost the equivalent of saying to your partner, um, we need to talk. Like nobody wants to hear somebody say we need to talk. Right. And I think email reads as we need to talk. It's like, oh, God, grandpa's going to give me a lecture about the old days. Exactly. Right? Like email is like where you go to do. You know what? Let's. Is it is it possible that it is the like you and well I assume you I know me I think you like a fax machine really really there's no way we could do this besides using a goddamn fax machine I think that's what email feels like to somebody who's 18 I think you're totally right uh so I got most of my ranting out I had other things to talk about along the way that I think are interesting I mean I'm still um, not the lover of animated GIFs and emoji that my friends are, but I'm starting to see it. I'm starting to get it. Sometimes with the casualization 
of certain kinds of communications with one's friends. Thumbs up is plenty of message. That, that's more than enough. Thumbs up, you know exactly what it says. And I think, again, now this is something where there's this funnel that's kind of squeezing us into that stuff making more sense. <laughs> right. Not least, starting with, there's more times where you have a DM or a private text with more and more people where you have your own little private room yeah. where it would be okay to say thumbs up. Like just saying just saying on a public website, thumbs up, you look like an idiot. Like what is that? A thumbs up about, about what? But if you're privately communicate, communi- communicating with somebody, that makes a lot of sense. Things like Slack make that very easy. You just type a colon in the name of the thing you want and it makes it. Also think about the small number of us using an Apple Watch. There's a lot of – I'm using my preloaded responses to things a lot of times. But um, have you seen Rocket, this new app? Rocket. No, Rocket is I don't a, think it's so. in show notes. And uh, the author of this uh, hit me up on Twitter the other day. Rocket – because I <laughs> – um, I don't think it actually tortures John Syracuse, but I, I like to needle John Syracuse by putting unnecessary emoji into the titles because he made fun of me for being an old man who doesn't like emoji. Uh-huh. So now I put emoji into the titles of all of our topics in the, uh, oh, for nice. the about drugs. There's a hypodermic needle with blood squirting out of it. So the fellow who makes this uh, texted me and said, hey, I made this thing that you can now use to provoke John Syracuse by putting emoji because if you ever try to use emoji on Google Docs, it doesn't work. Like, you have to copy and paste it from somewhere else. Oh, really? Check out Rocket, which is available at matthewpalmer.net slash rocket. It's a, it's a young app, but it's very cool. Basically, it gives you Slack-like completions for uh, emojis and animated GIFs and custom emojis. Oh, nice. So for, for people who think this sounds like crazy talk, uh, if I want to say, if I want to use the clap uh, emoji, all I have to type is colon clap or cla and it'll autocomplete on slack you don't have to like go and s- grab it from a selector mm. and once you start using that it's actually a much faster way to say the things you want to say um and so basically rocket gives you that through almost all of the uh os on your mac Where ordinarily you'd have to go to that weird selector under edit you have to go oh. to emoji and symbols right why am i saying this um that's becoming something i'm more comfortable with i'm more comfortable with seeing that and with getting that I think it's still an imperfect medium, not least because the glyphs are so radically different from platform. Oh, from platform. platform. Yes, yeah. Like, like there's that one I read about this. There was that the was a great w- article. Yes, it, it's you know the one I mean where it talks about what looks like a sort of a grimace, but the, on, the like e. Yeah, face. yeah. <laughs> I think of it as the e face. Where like you're not sure are you talking about the topic or what the person said? Like, right. You know, you could really be reacting to the wrong thing depending on if you're on Android or. Whatever. There's so much that. It is ambiguous, though, about emojis in many cases. In some cases, it's completely clear, like the thumbs up is is fine in a way that people do it a lot in Slack. But when I see it over text, sometimes, you know, you'll, you'll I don't know, I just, I feel like they're, em- emojis are a great form of punctuation, if you will, that, yeah. that add that add feeling or emphasis or clarify. Oh, it's like a different part of speech. You're saying like use it as punctuation, but not as a noun or verb. Yeah, because, you know, f- for me, and, and I, I realize this is very old fashioned, but I feel like it's, it's you know, it, there was that other article about people that use a period in chat and that yeah, using, using no punctuation or using, um, using an exclamation point, that, then you're happy. But if you use a period, then you're probably in your 40s and it sounds angry to other people. Like, 
Um, right. Like the, the leaving it off altogether is the new normal. Right. And we don't realize that the encoding today is that when you put a period, it sounds like you're being terse. It's yeah. the equivalent of saying fine. That's right. Right. Yeah. And even though you might mean that as that sounds fine to me, if you say fine, period, to somebody who's under 40, they're going to think that you, you're, being, you're, you're being a jerk or you're jerk. pissed off. Yeah, exactly. What did I, what did I do? What did I do? Right. And reality probably is that, that you're, you're not pissed off at all and you don't mean to be being a jerk, but that will be the perception. And I think that there, there is, the way to counteract that or the way to think of it is you don't, you don't need punctuation marks anymore. You need an emoji. So if you're like, fine, and you do a happy face, and they're like, oh, good, they like that. But if you're fine, period, you're, you're a jerk, you're probably pissed off. Yeah. Um, you know, and all of this, I think, is very, uh, is, is very much a, a changing sign of the times. And the way that the new messages supports the different emojis and all of that stuff, it's, you know, it's all changing uh, the way that we communicate, the way we communicate digitally is evolving because when you think about it, so with, with the exception of writing long emails, because writing letters has been around with us forever, with the exception of writing long emails, all of this stuff is so new and so immature and so not developed that really we're, we're starting at ground zero but we're starting or at level zero rather but we're starting there without any kind of building upon a framework you know like if if i in in the past i might have wanted to communicate with you and if you were far away i would have written you a letter and it would take me a while to write the letter and then i would i would write it and then i would send it to you and it would take a while to get to you and then you would receive it and read it and contemplate the response that you wanted to give and even if you wrote a response and an hour later thought oh i shouldn't have written that you could then go and get the letter and rewrite it and send the correct letter to the person and it was you know <laughs> it was just such a very different uh it was such a very different world and now things are happening so fast and so quickly that uh that uh we we have not really seen this medium mature at all we have not seen anything uh like what what it's eventually going to be you know what i mean like we're not we're not what it's going to be yet we don't know what it's going to be and where we are now is just definitely this kind of interim solution because it i don't like texting with people even with emojis i still don't like it and a lot of the time a phone call is uh is is just is just easier and faster and i've talked about this too much i don't want to bring it up again but i just i don't like texting i certainly don't like email i like text better than email but mm -hmm. I, I don't know like i just i i like i, I don't know it comes back to liking people like i if if i could if i had the opportunity to have a face-to-face in-person conversation with someone i'm i would always pick that over texting or email or even a phone call you are virtually alone there my friend i know but why that, but is that good or bad why does it have to be good or bad? Why well, can't maybe it just it be your preference? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. You, you seem to be seeking my approval on the fact no, that you like I'm to talk. No, I'm not. You're I'm always not. reminding me how much you like to talk to people. I like talking to people too. I just the overhead 
of dealing with face-to-face things of unknown value is totally unacceptable to me. It's true. Like, and I, I just I ran into this a lot in the 43 folders day where some dingling from Marin County would say, hey, let's zibba zabba for lunch. And I'd be like, what? who are you and why are you talking to me? <laughs> I don't because mean that. I mean, fr- I mean friends. I mean friends. I'm not talking even about... even with my friends. Like, I just... <laughs> I, I'm not busy. I am time constrained. But I am... I've got... Like, my, my life is... I like my life, but it has certain... There are certain places where I need to be at certain times, and I don't want to change those. I could change those, but that's the most important thing in the world. Like, I got to go pick up my kid in a while, and that is my most important job is to be there to pick up that kid. Right. In order to make sure I have a clear runway from here to saying, how was your day? Right. There's a thousand things that I can't do. And the, of those thousand things that I can't and won't do, the one that always threatens to take up the most time is somebody who says, hey, can we just talk for a few minutes? Mm. No, we can't talk for a few minutes. Because if five more people today want to talk for a few minutes, I literally no longer have a day. This is why I rely on vetting people. If it's a pal of mine, sure. Yeah, we could talk. We can, if you want to FaceTime with me because you like people, I'm fine to do that. I just I have learned to be suspicious of people who want my attention without either earning it or telling me why that is. This is sure. why the other day, the other day on Twitter, no, I don't mean to yell at you, except I'm yelling at you. But like the other day on Twitter, I was saying this is why I my solution for what the iPhone needs feels very simple and feels very Apple-like. And I don't know if you still get this. I'm still getting more and more spam calls, block calls, like all kinds of like, yeah. you know, consumer credit thing. It's very important you call us about lowering your rates. Ugh. There are so many, and a lot of them are really, they're, they're more than just slight ripoffs. Some are extreme scams. There's yeah. a thing on, I think, Radio Lab this week about this. Uh, so here's you want to hear my solution. Yeah, Boy, this is crazy, Merlin. Who's li- living in the future where all the dicks are? Here's my solution. <laughs> if you if you call me and the number, if you call me and the number that you're calling from does not match a contact in my contact book, you don't answer. You go straight. Well, you go straight to voicemail. Mm. If you want to leave a message and go, "Hey, sorry, I'm calling from a blocked number. It's me." That's cool. If you want to go, you know, hi, this is J. Jonah Jameson, and I need some photos, that's fine. <laughs> but, like, everybody has these other solutions. Like, so, actually, you could turn on Do Not Disturb and just add some custom. Like, really? You know, I could do that. I, I, I could also just go balls deep on some regular expressions, I guess. I could get an Android phone. Mm-hmm. I could just blow everything up and set it on fire. <laughs> what I'm asking for is an easier way to assume that the world is a hostile place over which I wish to exercise control. I think this is a very reasonable thing to assume. So, like, that's my feature request. My feature request is, is like, if you're on, and I think this is very easy to deal with, I don't think you're allowed to even get my attention until you've been vetted. I love that. Like, because, like, let's be honest, one reason email has become less of a total millstone is filtering. I use services and I use manual filters where so many of the notifications that used to take me off what I was oh, doing so now true. go directly to archive. I have many, many, many filters. Oh, can I, well, as long as I'm derailing, here's yeah. another one. I love the app called Deliveries by JuneCloud, <clears throat> which expresses itself as an OS X app. It exists as iOS, and it all it syncs together all stuff related to deliveries. So do I want to get and address emails from Amazon that something has been sent for delivery? I do not. So when I get something that matches my uh, uh, pattern matching for this is probably a delivery thing, it automatically, A, forwards it to track at junecloud.com. And because that's from my email address, it knows, it knows that it's from me. 
So it just adds that. Everywhere I go now, that's in there, right? So number one, importantly, <laughs> big part, number one, if there's a delivery that's just happened somewhere, and there are other automated ways to do this, but the easiest one is like email because that's where everybody sends me stuff. Yeah. That automatically goes there. But then you know what else happens? It automatically marks it as read and moves it to archive. Because that's not an actual email from a person. Like, oh, this is interesting. Apparently, I've, I've, I've received some kind of a timely missive with regard to some goods that will be delivered. <laughs> no, I don't need to see that. What am I, tricorn hat guy? <laughs> but that's the key to me is like the email still has this role. It's just I want it to exist as these little nanobots that I never have Right, to like see. the email has now replaced the concept of uh, of of actual communication as now it is the gateway to your automation system. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, and boy, you know, I know you were saying you're not a big fan of IFTTT. I still love IFTTT, but I feel like I'm constantly running up against the wonderful simplicity of what that does. I think you'd said, I think very intelligently, hey, if this solution involves me going and making my own IFTT scripts, it's not ready for me. Right. Yet. Yeah, I've been really running into that with some some lighting things. I want to, th- you know, I want some pretty subtle things as I try to do more home automation. I want one that seems very simple, but I haven't gotten it to work right. Which is that here, my the way I would write this in my notebook is um, after five p.m. If motion, if drop or nest cam detects movement outside my front door, turn on the porch light, and then turn it off fifteen minutes later, and. Um, you can do that. There are ways to do that, but it is not simple. It is not easy. And so far, it has not been very dependable. You know, So those are the kinds of things where like, well, you get home automation to do this stuff. Well, all the brain dead or all the, like, the kind of uh, not very subtle stuff is easy enough to do. You can even do fairly subtle stuff, like say, as long as you're willing to make sure everybody in your house has an iPhone. When I leave the house, do these things. When, I, when somebody arrives home, do these things. But you know, when we talk about this age we're in right now, what did you say? You said something really smart. You said um, this is like an intermediary time. Yeah. I feel like we're always in some kind of intermediary time. It's just difficult to know what we're in the intermediary time for. We, we know what we feel like is dead. We know what we feel like is brand new. The challenging part is to look at that ineffable 98% gray area in the middle and go, hmm, this could be a thing. Yeah. But I'm not really sure. Yeah. And I don't know if I want to you know, expend you know, hundreds of hours and thousands of dollars to find out if this is right for me. Yeah. Um, you should probably tell me about another thing that you like. I can do that. Thank you. Sure. I'll tell you about Wealthfront. Wealthfront is an automated investment service. What this means is you give them a little bit of money. Could be a few hundred bucks. Could be a few million bucks. Which probably isn't a little bit of money to anyone, but... That's how little it takes to get started. And what they do is they give you access to a sophisticated, diversified, long-term investment portfolio without the high fees and account minimums of traditional wealth managers. So normally you would need to invest that million dollars and up to get the attention of a quality financial advisor or like a wealth management professional. And then you'd pay them at least 1% per year in management fees, which is no joke. That, that adds up really fast. Wealthfront charges no trading commissions. They're completely free for accounts under $10,000. And for accounts larger than $10,000, their management fee is only 0.25% per year. So you get the best modern technology. You got their rigorous investment research. They're cutting out the middleman. 
and they're giving everyone sound investment management. You don't understand how big of a deal this is for people who don't have a lot of money to invest, for people who aren't walking up. For with, people who don't have all the money. <laughs> right. And that was the thing. I've, I've told this story uh, before, but it, every time I do this, this, uh, this read, I think about it. And it's my wife and I went in or in our probably mid to late twenties and what with what we thought was a tremendous amount of money. And uh and of, of course it wasn't, but to us it was. And we said, oh, like we wanna invest, we wanna protect the money, we wanna make it grow. And two different uh in wealth management professionals, investment advisor type people told us, eh. You know, just like go and get one of those online accounts and like throw it in there and you know, and or like they didn't we weren't worth their time. They were almost uh, indignant that we had made the appointment in the first place because why would we waste so much of their time with our minuscule amount of money? Wealthfront, you just start with a few hundred bucks. 500 bucks is the, is the minimum. And uh, if you go to wealthfront, wealthfront.com slash five by five, they will manage your first $15,000 entirely free of charge for life. So in addition to no commissions, no hidden fees, you won't pay any management fees on your first 15K, which is a nice uh, situation. So wealthfront.com slash five by five. Go check them out. Bok, bok. Bok, bok. You know what I like also? Can, um, what? Well, what I like is that they um, that fifteen thousand dollars, as I understand it, that fifteen thousand dollars, as you say, the first fifteen thousand mm. will continue to be. You will pay the stuff you pay, and I, I'm not a financial person, but the stuff you pay is only on the stuff that is in excess of that fifteen thousand. That is so correct. Cool. You are correct. Yeah, I'm, I'm a regular numbers guru. Right again. Woo! Right, you um, are. Okay, so I'm going to send this to you. I um I did this once. I've only done this once before, and it was with my wife, and she was so horrified. <laughs> she begged me to never do it again. Really? Yeah, yeah. I get that a lot from women. So I just that's I, just oh, a normal <laughs> thing for you. Roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so I just sent you from my watch. I don't know if it went through yet. Yeah, isn't that pretty? Look at that. Isn't that isn't that a nice way to say I love you to somebody? I'm looking at that. That's the that's the animation. That's cute. That's horrible. It's a little heart popping out of the mouth and oh, God, I don't think they understand how the body works. It's really no, I really I I don't understand. That's, but look at that. All I'm saying is that's grotesque. It's that's it's not a way to say I love Apple's you to somebody. Apple's idea of the way that people communicate and it's completely wrong. No <laughs> no one communicates that way and no one sh- wants to or should want to. Nobody wants to get this, especially with this black background. It's it looks like something that like uh, Elliot would send for F Society. I love you. <laughs> Put on the mask. <laughs> yeah. How, how about that show? Huh. I love that show. Hey, did you see she's back? Uh, I I haven't seen the second half of the. Oh, you know Tyrell's wife is back. Really? Oh yeah. Anyways, uh, but I'll tell you what, what's funny about that. Yeah, what is uh, I, funny? I know you're not a giant follower of the Apple Watch stuff, but here's a super interesting thing. Super interesting. And at least super. Like a, a super interesting in at least two or three ways. It's like, of all the many ways that the Apple Watch is a very, very silly <clears throat> and young device, um, I don't think it was long after it was first demoed on stage that pretty much everybody was like, I don't see myself sending my heartbeat to a lot of people. Yes. Do you? Do you send your heartbeat to a lot I've of people? I've never sent my heartbeat to anybody. 
I don't want to receive a heartbeat. Now I know I'm surely going to get yeah, that. Yeah, you're going to get I don't want to receive now. a heartbeat. When I see what these uh, these creepy GIFs look like on anything but an Apple Watch, like, oh my they God, you're such, you're such a weirdo. Yeah. Why would you send that to somebody? Yeah. But here's what it all comes down to. So like, all whatever, sending all that aside, one of the, well, the two things, it's always two things with me. One thing that has made the thing virtually unusable up until I'm told these recent betas is it's just so slow to do almost everything, especially anything involving apps. That's been a huge barrier uh, that has had, uh, you know, cascading effects. Like not that many people are going to go spend a huge amount of time making a polished Apple Watch app until it's something that they can be proud of. But this, the second one, the one, if you actually do, if you're a dummy like me or my friends and you actually keep wearing this stupid watch and using it, there's one thing about the hardware of this watch that still seems completely weird and underthought. Hmm. And that is the use of that second little button on the side. Yeah. So you got a, you got a button they call the, the digital crown that does stuff. Still a little confusing, but then you get that one below it, which I have. I've used it probably now six times to do what I just did with you. <laughs> yeah. Maybe six times ever have I used that to call up the little uh, Illuminati dingus and and send something to a friend because that's not how I think. I don't think about starting texts on my watch. I realize I'm living in the past. You know what I use it for? Apple Pay. I love it for Apple Pay. But think about that change. Well, first of all, I mean, let's say the obvious. Well, Apple has changed what that is changing what that button is for. And I think that is very important for lots of reasons. Well, secondary, tertiarily, good on you, Apple, to admit that the original use of that was not optimal. To dedicate a hardware button to sending your heartbeat to somebody or what have you. So now what does it do? You use it to pull up the dock and look at recent apps or your, you know, custom apps. Think about what that change means. Guessing how people would use this very personal device to very personally communicate with their personal friends. They guessed wrong about how people would want to use that. What's funny about that is that I think it's obviously it's a testament to Apple that they had the presence of mind and humility to make that change. But why did they make that change? They're making that change because they're realizing and accepting that it's much more important that this thing work for how I like to work rather than how Apple guesses I'd want to use it to socialize. Okay. So the truth is, I'm going to use this to socialize with people. I'm going to use this to see Slack notifications. I mean, did, how could we have realized how much notifications would be what almost everybody loves using this for? It's just that I think it's it's kind of cool that Apple realized that, and that doesn't make me a bad person, that I, I, I hope that I don't want to send my, I don't need a shortcut to those kinds of messages, what I need is a way to get to what I want to do. So in order to use this as a personal device for doing personal communications, the, the ironic or paradoxical part is you take out this dingling thing that makes me do it your way and instead allows me to do it my way. So if, if I'm out of town and weather is more important to me than kissy faces, that'll be reflected in how I do the doc. So that's evolution. It's slow-ish evolution, but it's evolution. And that's how this stuff changes. Like when you force people to use stuff for just this one thing, this one way, it'll never get big. Right. To, to get bigger, it's got to do lots of more stuff different ways. I still don't think we're quite there with the critical mass stuff, but that wasn't that interesting, but it is what it is. Well, you know, you t- Apple describes the watch as a the, the ultimate... Our most personal device. Most personal device ever. And when I think about... The watch, and then, like I said, I, I had one for a number of months and used it, wore it every day. Gay, I wound up giving it to my mom, who lo- who's obsessed with it and loves it. And, you know, for me, there was a, an aspect of the, the novelty of it. I enjoyed the novelty of it. I didn't, 
I didn't like the way that it looked or felt or worked, but I enjoyed that I was, you know, back to the beginning of what we were saying. I was, I was involved in this new thing, this cool new thing that people are, are, are all trying and are all using. And, and I liked that. I liked the sort of experiment of this is a, a new thing that I'm getting to be a part of. And there was somebody, one of my friends who's an engineer who said that, and, and he said, you know, I'm not really that interested in, uh, in the watch uh, per se as something that I will wear, but I anticipate that a lot of people will like this and I want to be in on that. I want to be part of mm-hmm. that thing, <laughs> that, uh, that, that, that movement, that next generation thing. And, that struck a chord with me, and it was after that that I decided, you know what, I will, I will get one of these, and I will try it out. But, you know, when I think of like a personal device, and this is something that also harkens back to the earlier part of the conversation on the services and the things that we do and how they've changed, uh, I really still do absolutely love the Kindle. I have a Kindle Paperwhite. All oh, right, yeah. And I I love that thing despite the so, there's so many things wrong with it. There's so many things that I don't like about it, but it comes back to the fact that what it does, it does better than any in my opinion, does better than any other device out there. And I'll, you know, the examples of this are are quite numerous. What uh, you know, it would take probably a full show for me to tell you the things I don't like about it and the things that it does wrong. But when it comes down to it, there is no, in my opinion, there's no better way to, uh, to get that many uh, books, that much reading material in one place in, in a way that's super convenient, that doesn't require a separate book, like book light. If you want to read at night, um, you know, something that's, especially with the latest update, the the font is super super legible. It, there's just a wonderful combination of things that makes it enjoyable to read. I do not like the touch screen at all. I'm always very worried that I'm going to flip the page accidentally, which I do. Even though I've been using this thing for a million years, I really like the little buttons on the side. I don't like tapping on the screen. Things like that that I could just spend a, a year going over all those little things wrong. But at the end of the day, there's this super light thing with a battery that just lasts forever and ever. It looks good at night. It looks good in the sun. I mean, everything has been thought through about that. And it is a great reading experience. Uh, And you can buy books right there. You can send, and this is something I, I don't see people talk enough about. You can send samples of books. Usually it's the first chapter of the book. You can send tons of these right from the website to your Kindle and they'll be there. They'll be there waiting for you when you go back uh, and, and, and decide that you want to uh, read something. So let's say you're browsing on the web right now and Merlin says, Oh Dan, there's this book you surely check out. I'll go to it on Amazon. I'll click the thing that says, uh, send this to my kin- send sample to my Kindle. When I get back there, that first chapter is waiting for me. You can get the first chapter of hundreds of books if you want and read them. And when yeah. one is really good, you just tap the little uh, the little link that says, you know, get get the rest of this book. And how long do you think it takes for the rest of the book to get there? Several seconds. Mm-hmm. So now it's right there. I like and that. It's got that whisper net built right oh, in, which is nice. So cool. That this is the kind of thing that for me, yes, and and I am, you know, my my 
my uh, I've said this before. My aunt was a librarian uh, at a college university for her whole career. My mom is an English professor. I, I'm an English major. I love books. I love reading books. I love holding real books. I love turning pages. I love all of that stuff. And I miss all of that with the Kindle. It takes it away the way that the image quality on it is crap. But I'm willing to forgo all of those many you know, inadequacies and failings of the device for the conveniences of, you know what, we're going on a trip or I'm going on vacation or I'm going to be sitting here reading for a couple hours and I want eight different things to read. Oh, yeah. And they're all right there. I don't need to go and get anything else or carry anything else. If I wanted to, if I was going on a, on a trip for a week and I want a different, you know, three, four different books, am I going to pack four or five different books? No. But, you know, yes, there's a web browser on it. It's the worst web browser in the world. It's pretty bad. I'd rather browse TV, you know, on my TV. It's just horrible. I don't look at it as doing that. I just look at it as like, this is a way I can read the text of a book. And yes, don't talk to me about the justification. It looks terrible and blah, blah, blah. But there's so much that that is done right. And it really is the best. It's so light. It's so, you know, I mean, I think the, the, I agree with you. The, the real no brainer part is like, if you just want a whole bunch of things to read and you can, you can be okay with using in the way that it looks, it's the best. It's pretty cheap. You just throw a bunch of stuff on there. And if you have something like Calibre, you throw your own stuff on there. That's it. I mean, you don't, you know, that's the thing is it's meant to be, in the same way that the Apple TV was originally an appliance for buying things on iTunes, I think the Kindle wants to be an appliance for you buying all kinds of things, including, you know, Amazon Prime stuff, which right. is fine. But you can also put your own stuff on there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you yeah. can. I mean, it's, there, it is, it is one of those devices that, that it, to me, when Apple talks about a, a personal device, that's a personal device. Because you're sitting there in bed with that thing most of the time, you know, or you're in your most quiet moments. Like, that's what a, a personal device is for me. And I don't know, like, I, I just, I really, that's the one device that, you know, if the aliens were coming and saying you can only, you know, take three devices with you, the watch would not be on the list. But the, right. the Kindle would definitely be on the list for me. You're also describing a really good contemporary example, though, something where, like, you know, get you a man who can do both. Like, in this case, the, for example, like, I love the musical Hamilton, and so I, uh, a few weeks ago or months ago, I bought the big Hamilton book. If you're a fan of the musical, I really recommend it. <clears throat> and it's this beautiful, big book with lots of pictures and beautifully laid out. And I'm a weirdo. Like I wanted to be able to look at it on my iPad, so right. I also bought it on the iBook store. Right, right, I don't right. do it with that. I don't do that that often because I'm not that stupid. But but the truth is, like it depends on what it is that you're doing, and it depends on where you're doing it. Like if you look at something like if you want to read, um, if you want to read some Plato, and like you don't need to go out and buy the collected Plato in a hardbound edition. <laughs> you can go to Gutenberg, Project Gutenberg or similar yeah. and download an EPUB or a Mobi and just throw it on there and now you've got it. Like, is that the greatest solution in the world? Will you pass that down to your children? No, you won't pass that down to your children. You don't need to pass that down to your children because guess what? It's just bits and bytes. They can go get their own copy. Right. It's okay. You're not denying them anything. But like the thing is uh, having the Hamilton book in the living room is a lot of fun because we listen to it a lot. It's fun to read the annotations, but I also really enjoy just getting to have it and, and look at it in bed. But those are different kinds of use cases. It's, you know, this is a, this is a I say this is a good contemporary example because it's, the book is not dead. The hardcover book, you know, a hard copy book is not dead. 
any more than I think the ebook has had a total ascendancy. Um, right. There are a lot of people, and I, I mean, I certainly you could look at, I'm sure somebody could disprove that by showing me trend lines from the last 10 years, but remember there's a lot of people out there where 95% of the books they've got were bought a long time ago and they have them and maybe even still read them. Are you accounting for people who go to the library because they don't have money to spend on a Kindle? Mm-hmm. Like neither medium is better, more alive, more dead. They're just they're different. I mean, yes, obviously the long sweep of history will show us that ebooks are a better idea in the long run, but you know, you it doesn't mean that you let me put it this way, books are not VHS at this point at all. You know, you can still enjoy things the way you want to enjoy. And in your case, the benefit, whether that's comics from Comixology or books from Amazon. Right. Having that all on this one little device with great battery life that you can just go look at anywhere, I mean, that's that's a benefit. There's nothing you have to give up to do that. You know, there one more thing that occurs to me, I'm looking through my yep. notes here, about uh, that I just want to mention about the, the Kindle. Um, there are, are a lot of people who uh, are sensitive to what kind of light they look at at night. And one of the things about the Kindle, and it makes a big difference in the way that they designed it, is the illumination. It doesn't, it's not illuminated the way that um, like an, an iPhone or an iPad screen is illuminated in that it's projecting the light toward you. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the, the lights were designed in such a way so that they're, they can be dimmed incredibly and they shine down, uh, on the screen from the sides or top of the device onto the screen. So they're not shining at you. They look, they're kind of reflected in a way. So it's much, much easier on the eyes. It's much, much easier to read in the dark. And unfortunately they, there isn't any kind of like night shift mode built into the like Kindle Paperwhite or traditional Kindle, the Kindle Fire, oh, but then yeah, yeah. that's the wrong kind of illumination. So, you know, a lot of people uh, who are worried about that will wear the blue blocker like glasses type things. But uh, I just wanted to mention that, that it's much more a common, like I do not like to read uh, on my iPad. I do not like to read books on my iPads and I never have. And I, I find that a deplorable horrible experience and i do not uh, have any problem at all reading on the kindle in the dark or at night so i just want to mention that because i feel like i'll get email about it you'll get email about it um this is what that ibooks book looks like on my monitor for example this is from a few days ago but you can see if you open that up big so like in that case that's kind of a what do they call it a uh lean back experience to get a book to be that big on your retina screen. Oh, yeah. It's big. Oh, man. Look at him. Look at him jumping in the this air. It's pretty cool. We rendezvous with Rochambeau, consolidate their gifts. So what screen is that you're looking at that? Er, my iMac. iMac. Nice. Yeah, it's it's not quite up to iMac retina standards <laughs> at that size. Yeah. But it still looks pretty great. Yeah. It's nice. nice, uh, nice to just listen to it and flip through. We've helped a lot of people this week, Dan. I think so. What do you say we button it up? Let's do it. Okay, I love you. Love you too, Merlin.